0: Hello, and welcome to the Recovery Matters podcast from CCAR, the podcast where putting recovery first is always the goal. Here we present interviews, discussions, stories, and speeches to cultivate the understanding and acceptance of the power, hope, and healing of recovery from alcohol and other addictions. Here are your hosts, Phil and Sandy Valentine.
1: Good morning.
0: Hello, Sandy.
1: I want to talk about God today.
2: I don't even know if that's like a legitimate
1: recovery topic,
2: a podcast topic. You might, aren't we going to scare everybody away with a G O D, with a three letter word?
1: There is potential for that. Yes. For sure. Yes. But we've been doing this now for over a year and we hear different stories of recovery, everybody's different pathway. Mm hmm. And God has been a big part of my pathway and your pathway. Correct. And we got there in different ways.
2: Well, let me ask you a question. Uh Uh-oh. Why did you pick this topic? Because you've been thinking about you wanted to do this one for a while. Yeah. So how did it come up?
1: Well, it's my pathway. You know, somebody asked me.
2: Well, that doesn't really. God is not a pathway. I don't think
1: well, that's a good point um
2: it's a big, he's a big or she or however you define God as a part of your tapestry, your there. recovery tapestry.
1: all right, God is my number one recovery coach you're
2: not you're a number two, really yeah, well, if God's ahead of me, I'd take that as a compliment
1: because <laughs> I don't get out much anymore, but
2: yeah I, oh well, gotcha <laughs> no. mm-hmm.
1: So one of the reasons I want to talk about it, that that desire has increased is that over the past year of doing interviews, quite often we've had guests feel like they needed permission to talk about God and how God's working in their recovery journey. Mm-hmm. And when I say God, for you know the people we've interviewed, I'm talking about a higher power. I'm not necessarily talking about... The God to whom I claim to belong. Uh, mm-hmm. but we can talk about that in a few minutes. Um, so let's take it back to the beginning, Phil. What was your first concept of God growing up?
2: You're interviewing me.
1: It is a two-way street today.
2: It would be funny if that, like, you tried to guess what mine was, or tell people what mine was, and I tell people what yours was, and see how off we are. See how well we've listened to each other. (laughs) It's like the newlywed game. Do you remember the newlywed game? Yes, I do. Who was the host?
1: Bob Eubanks. Eubanks.
2: Yeah, Bob Eubanks.
1: Almost some Parker, but (laughs) I
2: don't know. That was a different Bob. Um, My first concept of God. Wow, I don't even really think I've ever thought about that too much. Um. My sister and I were taken to a little community Baptist church in Manchester when we were kids. Mm -hmm. When we got to about that age, the youth group was small. Um, They had a lot of things. Um, I attended a lot of sermons as a kid, and I didn't understand what they were talking about. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand all the blood and the sacrifice and... Mm -hmm dying for my sin and I didn't I didn't I, I didn't understand it um, I, I didn't discount it but I didn't jump in wholeheartedly and I remember being 12 13 and the um, rock opera Jesus Christ superstar came out and My friend Matt took me to see it the (laughs) original one on Broadway I just was like the music touched me so deeply and I started to think a little more about who this Jesus guy was or is and ended up getting baptized and I don't know let's start but around 13 is when i started my 14 15 year run mm-hmm. with alcohol and drugs and pushed all that aside um i know when i got baptized i remember a couple things about that i, I had pennies in or in the robe in the hem of the robe so it didn't float up around you in mm-hmm. the dunk tank
1: do you have anything on under the rope
2: yes because okay. i was still very modest um at that age and he dunked me and he lifted me up and i felt different no i literally i really i did i felt something different i don't want to cleansed might be the right word but it's hard to describe but that disappeared quickly you know for me and youth took over i ran and ran and ran that was my earliest concept i also had some encounters that were more on the dark side like one time i woke up five or six screaming and i was awake and i sensed a a black panther with yellow glowing eyes sitting on our roof and i tried to tell my parents about it but i guess they had no idea what to do about it or if Just it, a
1: nightmare, right? I'm sure from their point of view. But it wasn't
2: a nightmare because I was awake.
1: Yeah.
2: Purely awake. And then I remember kind of having a close encounter with death one time at um, at UConn where I lived. I was going to school at UConn. I was flunking out. I was lived about six, seven, eight miles away in Coventry. And at midnight, I decided to walk home. Um from campus all the way to Coventry and I'm walking down these back roads and I get in this low area and I have the long black coat on and wool coat and the denim jacket like up you know the collar and it's freezing cold and I just felt like death the spirit of death right there Now, who knows through all my drinking and drugging escapades where angels were sent or God was sent and Mm -hmm. intervened. One of the things I'm sure of, of why I'm alive today, is when I got drunk, I would do anything. Mm -hmm. I would take pills. I would smoke anything. Heroin was never shown to me. And he must have steered me away from that because I was in the circles where it, it happened. But if I had found that, I don't think I'd be alive today. I think my path would have been a lot different. Mm-hmm. Wow. Did so you hear Did you know any of that?
1: I knew about, yeah, I knew about the coat
2: <laughs> yeah. and, and the walk. Oh, I still have a long black wool coat. I like it.
1: You know, and it's it's particularly poignant because that road that you would have walked mm-hmm. a student was hit by a car and died this week. Mm. Um, and it's the road that I drive home on every night. Um, leaving campus so Mm -hmm. um, yeah you definitely were protected for sure yeah so for me growing up my family had regularly attended the church down the street which was about eight houses away and that seemed forever away when I was a kid you know we got in the car to go there but by the time I came along because I came 14 years after the pack of four they were not attending church regularly. So periodically, they would drop me off at church for a while for a season, and I would go to Sunday school. And I didn't really get it, like you said, I didn't really understand what was happening. And so I had been going through years of bullying in school about being a chubby kid. And I was now I know I was introverted. But Really shy, and so and I was you weren't seeing, chubby. Well, I no, I
2: was second. I do I, don't know, well, I see some of those um, pictures. I wouldn't say you were chubby. Okay, but so anyway, like second. To you fifth, were still bullied.
1: Second to sixth grade was particularly right. difficult.
2: Can't imagine.
1: And all my siblings kept leaving mm-hmm. as adults. They got married right away. The, my three when sisters. Why did somebody
2: teach you how to fight?
1: I never really told anybody what was happening.
2: Oh, did it ever occur to you to fight or just run?
1: Well, what was there to fight? They were calling it? me names. I would walk
2: right over there and just punch somebody punch in the them. nose. That's
1: yeah, my Are anger you? my anger goes <laughs> internal. internal. <laughs> right. It's never gone
2: external. Uh, I know, but that's just so aggravating.
1: But I can remember lying in my bed at those ages, seven, eight, nine, just lying in my bed every night like, why was I born into this family too late? Why did I have what seemed to me at the time? My parents are forty-three and forty-eight when I was born, so I thought they were the, the they were the oldest parents of any of my friends, mm-hmm. and so I just felt you
2: thought, you thought that at ages seven and eight, you can uh, remember that.
1: Oh, I remember. I can wow. picture my room. I had. I ended up inheriting my brother's room, so it, it was pine green paneling, and I can. Picture myself lying in that twin bed. Wait.
2: Is that why you don't like pine or green? (laughs) (laughs) Could be. My dad. And you know how much I love pine and green.
1: (laughs) Could be. My dad, um, that's an interesting epiphany you just had, to welcome my brother home from the Vietnam War. Yeah. He redid that bedroom beautifully with pine green paneling and he stained all the trim pine green and then i like your my, brother you know my, that my brother moved he had, out
2: he had good taste
1: well it wasn't my brother's taste my dad did it for my brother like oh. to welcome him home from gotcha. the war but i ended up you know he didn't stay long so i ended up with that bedroom um and it was too well done to do anything about that so anyway but i this has nothing to do with god fell it could we're never having a house with pine green paneling. Just gosh. Well, it
2: doesn't have to be. We could be a house that's in a pine green forest. There you go. A pine forest that works for you. That's the compromise.
1: It's a compromise.
2: I know. You know, I have like pine tar soap and mm-hmm. pine beard oil, and
1: I do. When I walked in the bathroom this morning, I said, "Oh, it smells like
2: Christmas." No, it smells like what? the woods. You kinda Jeez.
1: So I'm trying to express to you that at this <laughs> young, vulnerable age, you
2: were
1: I'm lying awake,
2: looking at pine green crying family.
1: out like, "Where are you, God? Why? Why am I in this family in this way? Why do I have to?" Did these you ever
2: parents? get an answer?
1: No, but I started looking. So mm-hmm. even at a young age, I saw what was happening in school, and all the popular kids were Catholic. So of course, I was Protestant. So it must be that God is in the Catholic Church. Because the popular kids are all going to...
2: Do you really remember saying that question, that God must be in the Catholic Church? Yes. Wow.
1: I wow. wasn't... That was not the end of it.
2: No, I know. I know. But I started going. going to
1: church with my friends, mm-hmm. the, who are Catholic, mm-hmm. thinking that I would hear God's voice. He Did would Did you speak become to popular? Me. No, I didn't go... I was checking it out, okay. Like people weren't dragging other people's kids to church
2: with them. <laughs> Am I annoying you?
1: Yes, you are, because this uh, was more meant to be a spiritual conversation. <laughs> more, so than you,
2: more so than usual. Kind yeah, of dope. There's joy in in God, so okay. So you didn't find it in the Catholic, but you, did you make any? This Catholic, was angst. Did you make any Catholic friends?
1: All my friends seem to be Catholic. Okay, they're either Italian or. American or Irish American.
2: My sisters, you know, one, CIA is right. No. Catholic Irish alcoholic or Catholic Italian alcoholic. Okay. Anyway, that was in
1: my oldest sister married an Italian and became Catholic. Wow. My second oldest sister married a Scots Irishman and became Catholic. So now my nieces and nephews who are more my age are all Catholic. Mm -hmm. And they had First Communion and wait. Anyway, I went to the Catholic Church. God was not talking to me there. So I heard about the chosen ones. So I figured God must talk to them in the synagogues. And I had a friend, Debbie Mm Abbey. And Debbie took me to the synagogue with her. Mm -hmm. And I waited. And, you know, there were some unusual customs. They were speaking Hebrew. Mm -hmm. But I was like, this this is probably they're the chosen I'm gonna hear from God here and I didn't God didn't talk to me there either so there launched probably uh, a period of time that took me through to age 25 or 26 where I just decided I'm I don't know if I'm atheist or agnostic but I left the belief that, there was gonna be a God in my life that was gonna to talk to me. And that's where I rested until I stepped into the rooms of uh, Al-Anon.
2: I think that's it's a fascinating story because I knew in my soul, and I, I'll call it my soul, but I, that's my like energy, my spiritual being, that there was emptiness. And I find it fascinating that another term for alcohol is spirit Mm -hmm. or spirits. And so one way we try to fill the spiritual hole is with spirits. Mm -hmm. And I tried that for 14, 15 years and then tried it with drugs just to get rid of the anxiety and the worry. And um, I started... What was guilt for me about not doing the right thing? Morphed into shame Mm -hmm. that that I must be a bad person because I wasn't doing I couldn't do the right thing Um, So I think that behind this the alcohol slash spirit is a force that's not good a spiritual force. That's not good that draws us into this world. I mean So that's why they're called spirits because you almost get consumed by another spirit when you're intoxicated And then the other part that Alcoholics Anonymous taught me too is Why do they call it a package store? Because you get the whole package when you drink <laughs> and none of it's good usually um, So is that what, similar to you, that you started to use alcohol to fill the void or to just make you feel better?
1: Uh, that's That is a really good question. I think I've always used food to fill the void. Mm-hmm. Alcohol, for me, erased my, now I know would be called social anxiety. It erased all my inhibitions. Mm-hmm. And I had a billion of them. Mm-hmm. And so... It allowed me to be a person that was comfortable in the world. And, you know, I've often talked about the fact that I would get ready to go out with my hairspray and my vodka my and soda.
3: Mm-hmm. Like
1: those two went hand in hand. Mm-hmm. You know, now I know working on a college campus, it's called pre-gaming. So you drink before you go to a drinking party. I guess I was pre-gaming by myself because in order to go out and be with a bunch of people in a social situation, I needed to be,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um, I needed to already have drank.
2: Yeah, I didn't, I mean, when I was drinking, I didn't mind being with people. Didn't matter when I started. I just would start a little faster. I didn't have to pre-game. But at the end, I was, when I was doing all the cocaine, I just wanted to be alone, completely isolated. I think that's really what addiction does or that spirit of the drug or the spirit of alcohol. It's a spirit of isolation Mm -hmm. that um, the more you drink, the more isolated you become. The more drugs you use, the more isolated you become. So
1: when I got to 12-step program and saw the 12 steps on the wall with higher power, higher power, higher power, I didn't know what that meant to me, except on a pivotal night, so I dabbled in Al-Anon for like Mm -hmm. a year for a particular reason, and then when I got to a place of wanting to end my life and my sister directed me to go to a meeting right away, and there was one 20 minutes away, a mile and a half from where I was living, and I went. I knew the person that walked into the meeting Was not the person who went, walked out. So I walked in wanting to die, and I walked out wanting to live. And so I knew that there must be a power greater than myself Mm -hmm. that in an hour that could change.
2: Of course. It's a beautiful story. I think I was lying in bed somewhere, you know, late 1987 somewhere between, you know, when my daughter was born in October um, to when I ultimately found the rooms of the 12 steps. And I don't, I can't even recall what I was, my concept of what I was thinking about God or all of that. I have have no idea um, because I can't recall it. But I do remember laying in so much pain and, and just utter darkness and confusion that a two-word prayer came out of me. And it was a prayer to a God that maybe all those years ago that when I was baptized and felt that, that there was still that presence or I knew there might be something out there and I just said help me mm. and I don't know of a more powerful prayer when it's uttered from the depth of your soul that you could possibly say and I don't know when that was answered I just knew it was a long-term answer and somehow I ended up outside of a, a, a 12-step meeting and I walked into the rooms And I think I knew I was alcoholic because I used to tell people I'm alcoholic. That's why I drink this way. But I don't remember that. I remember somebody telling me I was mentioning AA while I was at UConn. I don't remember that. I don't even know where that concept came from. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know I knew about alcoholics. I certainly didn't know when I walked into the room and read the steps. I had never read the steps before. So they had those big posters on the wall. And I saw that God was the answer. Mm-hmm. It was very clear in the steps. And a lot of people bristle and go, and you, you said it earlier when we were talking that some people say, you know, the 12 steps doesn't work for me. Meetings aren't my thing. Um, but for me, I just went, thank God. Because mm-hmm. I had tried everything else. I hadn't really dove into the spiritual world or what God may or may not do for me, but I was determined to find out. hmm And the more I explored, the more real it's become. And it's proven true now, and this month is gonna be 34 years of pursuing God.
1: Yeah. And 30 years ago is Mm -hmm. when you and I became more closely connected with one another, and...
2: That was a spiritual experience. (laughs) Hey, now. Stop it, you started, you brought it up. (laughs) No, I'm really blushing. <laughs> no. Oh, you cut it out. I think I'm turning red, too. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. Well, yes you
1: are. <laughs> <Yeah>. Anyway, um,
2: <laughs> you So your we, were, your <laughs> we
1: were we were exploring recovery together and you were exploring a lot of different forms of spirituality that mm-hmm. that uh, one of the things I think it's even in our marriage vows where I wrote something, I think, about you, um, me following you, or being you being a lighthouse, or maybe I don't know. I have some
2: weird, I like that
1: weird memory. But yeah. I
2: Philip the lighthouse.
1: <laughs> the <laughs> challenge I put on myself throughout the thirty years that we have been connected mm-hmm. is to keep an open mind, because you often go down roads that I'm shaking my, my head at. Um, and so, in the early days, I challenged myself to just keep an open mind. So, one of the things that we explored was A Course in Miracles. Mm-hmm. Some people might be familiar with, some believe that that is a teaching that has mm-hmm. been um, bestowed from Jesus to the person who crafted the book. Um Marian Williamson is a famous author that
2: mm-hmm.
1: has written books based on the Course of Miracles. And I
2: still think the spiritual concepts are sound. Right. Very so sound.
1: one of those key concepts that you cannot be in a place of fear and love in the same moment. Right. And um, do you want to be happy or do you want to be right?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And you would, you know, we would have these conversations. You wanted to be happy. I wanted to be happy and right mm-hmm. but if I had a choice I would prefer to be right mm-hmm. and so that really started to shape me and open my mind to um what does what does love mean is is love from God is God love and in that whole pursuit um, we learned how to become Reiki masters not mm-hmm. a skill that we've kept up but the healing energy we looked at chakras and we Mm -hmm. we did all kinds of things in terms of spirituality as part of it's interesting about that
2: part about the reiki and all that we got into the christian church and we felt the need to renounce that Mm -hmm. and i'm not so sure anymore about if it has to be either or if it can't be both and yeah you know because well, it, this is
1: fast-forwarding a little bit, but yeah. one of the things that has lasted or shaped my vision of all that is something that Rob Bell said in one of his books, and I can never quote it accurately, but you can, that wherever there is blank, 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 there is God. Beautiful and uh, true, or you do it Oh, uh,
2: well, so he was raised as a pastor's kid, mm-hmm. very fundamental, like, Black and white, either it's secular or it's, uh, you know, it's Christian, basically. But then he went to a U2 concert, and he was filled with ecstasy when they started to play. He wasn't high or anything. It wasn't ecstasy the drug. It was ecstasy the feeling. And he started to really question, because U2 was, quote, unquote, from his, um, the way he was taught was secular and Mm -hmm. therefore sinful, He said, but this feeling is so pure. So he wrote this book, Velvet Elvis, Repainting the Christian Faith. And he said that he believes God, the concept of God, and if you're a Christian, that would be God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, is in anything Mm -hmm. true, good, and beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I was like, because I, I was struggling at the time when we were talking about this with the Christian box, mm-hmm. you know, that there's a well, box. Well, the and,
1: religion.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that when I heard that, it was like I saw this thing that this these walls that mm-hmm. I went all four walls just opened up. Mm-hmm. Because if, you know, when I hiked the Appalachian Trail, I saw God mm-hmm. everywhere. Mm-hmm. I was with God everywhere. There was truth, goodness and beauty everywhere all day every day when you saw something that wasn't good it almost was like a shock Mm -hmm. when somebody treated someone poorly or something you're like well where did that come from you know (laughs) Um, you
1: pivoted like your your day instead of all these hours spent seeing what's wrong with the world you were seeing what's beautiful and true and good about the world and then having those moments
2: where now
1: we're so used to the other that we're like oh it's a god moment like i can see the spirit in that person or that was a beautiful thing
2: um i think for me the turning point though too is we're um doing a lot of the reiki and chakra work and you know going back and like doing these meditations and this reiki master brought me down to a safe place like, when I say that, what's your safe place? And for me, it was on a beach. And she said, what do you want to work on? I said, I want to work on the relationship with my dad because I don't think I'd really talked to him in, like, a year or two. And it's hard to remember that I ever had that that peace. And so she says, all right, bring your dad into the picture. And so I'm kind of laying there standing in on the a meditation, right? In a meditation, yeah. a deep meditation. She says, bring your dad into the picture. Um what do you want to do? I want to beat the crap out of him, which like surprised me. So I just had all this internal rage deep in my soul. And I don't know how long it went on for minutes, but I just beat him and beat him and kick, kicked him and kicked him until he was down. And he kept getting up. And um, But this is all in this meditative state. So all of a sudden, she goes, are you done yet? You know, She's getting a little impatient. I go, I guess so. And all of a sudden, this presence comes from, in my mind, the left side walking down the beach. And I know instantly that it's Jesus. And I'm like, we're not pursuing Christ. I'm like, where did you know? <laughs> and then he co- he's walking down the beach, then he turns and comes straight up the beach at me. And I go, the first thing is like, oh, my God, I'm in so much trouble <laughs> right now. And I can't tell the story without choking up because what happens next is it it can't be of my mind. I'm not that creative. And so he goes to my dad though and picks him up Mm
3: -hmm.
2: and embraces him and says, I love you, Richard. And then he turns to me and he walks towards me and he has this beautiful white long like gown, I don't know what it is, but around his neck he had this stole that was filled with gold and diamonds, but in the diamonds were actually like universe, and it was deep blue and royal blue and purples. And then I look and look into his eyes, and the universe is in his eyes. And he just looks at me and goes, I love you, Philip. And then the woman was like, what the heck's going on? Who is that? And I said, it's Jesus, and I'm weeping. And so he kind of left and leaves after that. And I was just like, I don't know, I don't know what happened. And um, she kind of dismisses me because she's a little rattled that, that, pre- that she could feel that presence, whatever, because she was the same in the room. And the affirmation came the very next morning when my father called me. I said hi philip we haven't talked in a long time i'd love to see you I said me too dad and it's, well you know the story since it hasn't been we've been he's been a part of our lives for what the last mm-hmm. 30 plus years yeah yeah so i don't know if that was, you know that spurred me towards that that was the time where i went omg oh, <laughs> oh my god <laughs> Jesus is real to me.
3: Mm-hmm. I don't
2: know if that's true for everyone. I don't know how he works or what's going to happen, but I cannot to this day 30 plus years later not remember those that look in his eyes, the universe in his eyes, the 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 what he had around his neck that stole. I I, I can't ever forget it i won't ever forget it
1: yeah and so you're you know we're you're having these experiences and i'm trying to keep an open mind but (laughs) i'm also wondering you know Mm -hmm. are you off
2: do you remember that 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 when i came in did i tell you about it yeah i don't
1: remember the detailed description of the stole so that's the only surprising part but i had a i had a different kind of experience with that that same mm-hmm. counselor um, mm-hmm. who took me into a meditative state, and um, I took me back to a place where I was an infant in that um, my mom was unavailable to me, and I would hang out in my crib and just wait. She would she would change my diaper and feed me and I would just be in that crib until my sisters got out of school or work to come home and interact with me. And I had never remembered hearing that at all. And so I thought it was some manufactured in my brain, you know, and, um, and it turns out after checking in with my sister says that exactly was my first year of life. That's what it looked. So like. So you,
2: you had a memory. So if I asked you the question, what is your first memory? it would be being left alone in the crib but yeah, that, you you found that in a deep meditative state
1: but i cried puddles oh, I there know. was puddles in my ears how could you not of tears lying on the because table because you would and... never
2: do that to a baby no you, the, there's not a there's not a cell in your body that could even do that no no nope right
1: um, and who knows, right? It's probably postpartum. My mom had a lot of mental health oh, issues. It's not meant to be a judgment I, of her. No, but I don't.
2: I don't take it that way. I just it say explained a lot of things. It, it's just is. Yeah. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. So we're we're spending our first couple of years together, and we're trying all these things. We were even going to New York City to hear speakers.
2: And didn't we hear Marianne Williams? We did Yeah, a couple of times. I went in a,
1: I went in a couple times. One yeah. time you didn't go, and I came home with hives, so that was oh, interesting.
3: Well, I'm glad I didn't go
2: then. <laughs> but
1: and you know, people have asked me. I think our Mary, our daughter, has asked me if I believe that um, crystals work, and I I think they offer something if you believe they offer something. If if I see a rose crystal quartz that's meant to rep, you know have the power of love in it, if I believe that that has the power of love in it and I look at it and I think love, I think it does have power. And uh, we were given a gift when we got married of a Amethyst Cathedral. And mm-hmm. it's so funny because I find myself every week at work explaining why purple is used to represent recovery. And mm-hmm. it goes back to the Greeks, ancient Greeks, looking at amethyst as the sobriety stone that it would mm-hmm. ward off drunkenness, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's funny because we have this cathedral and we've been able to ward off drunkenness for you know mm-hmm. our pretty long time. Oh, because
2: of the power. All because of, of, that of that the power, power of the crystal. Of the crystal. Well, but
1: when I look at that crystal, it represents. Sobriety and recovery, and you know, it represents good things. So I think there's power in it that way. And um, I think whatever meaning you can draw from things. But our journey continued, and what was really pivotal about heading closer towards faith in Jesus was we were going to get married by a justice of the peace, and a dear friend in recovery said. Come meet my pastor.
2: The turtle man. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, um, you know, there was a part of me that felt like if I didn't get married in a church, there is something not quite right. And so okay. we went and we met the pastor who is mm-hmm. a lady pastor. Mm-hmm. And we went through. Um,
2: Questioning.
1: Yeah, what are was it called premarital sessions.
2: Pre-cana or something like that.
1: And I, I was so, that was. that's the Catholic version. Oh. So. What, I was so afraid that we were going to end up not getting married going through those sessions. Because <laughs> I actually really wanted to marry you. And um, they turned out to wanted be. Wanted to. Turned out to be.
2: Was that a good decision on your part?
1: Well, that jury still out, <laughs> but. Um,
2: Yikes. No. no so it's all good. that turned out to be.
1: Like the whole premarital counseling. Yeah, it's powerful. Was beautiful and powerful and mm-hmm. affirming and and set our course on a path. And then, you know, we were married at the end of November and we were expecting our first child shortly after. Mm-hmm. And it seemed, you know, there's still some culture thing in my head that I should raise my kids to know God, but really we were just getting connected with people in that church informing friendships and um, we didn't know what we were doing what was really ironic is that we were at that church for three months when they asked us to lead a group on romance and
2: marriage holding on to the romance the va- by the valentine <laughs> right.
1: we've been married three months like yeah. if we lost it already we were in big trouble but we became closely connected with a small group that lasted for quite a few years and
2: some of them are still friends today
1: yeah and we built our friendships and we started learning more and I can remember the thing that I hated the most about going to small group was when scripture got quoted to me Cause I was not, I was not about reading the Bible yet.
2: Uh, yeah, there's a lot about. Um, I mean, that one woman, Janice, was always Janice Johnson, right? She was always quoting scripture. I was actually amazed how much she knew. Um, but that started us on a whole pursuing a journey of Christianity, and we got a lot of the best of Christianity, like the Congress and in Boston with all these speakers from across the country incredible music, um, some practices that really helped us uh, with our early family life when our kids were little. The classic story for me is I I read the Bible through a couple times in the New Testament at least seven or eight. And one morning, though, I was Matthew. You know how Matthew is. I was up early to read the Bible and make my notes and making this, this like this big project of me, I'm going to know the Bible. And I still know the Bible, but he had to be two or three. So this is what, 17 years ago, 16, 17 years ago. And he gets up early and he goes like, Daddy, Daddy, I'm hungry. You know, like when he wants pancakes or something. And I'm like, Matthew, can't you see I'm reading the Bible? And he he got hurt, hurt face. And then God hit me with a two by four, like that spiritual one, and goes, I am not here in this mm-hmm. book. I am right there. And that was my son. And I said, Oh my gosh. Because I had turned, like, even reading the Bible into like this quest. Mm-hmm. And like this discipline, and that's what the church was always saying. You have to be disciplined and obedient and do it every day and, da, 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 and your daily devotionals. And that's not me. Don't tell me what the f- you know, to do, right? Really? <laughs> really. So I said, Matthew, you're right. What do you want for breakfast? And uh, Matthew's always had the way of pushing the envelope with people. He's always been a, a counselor, you know, re, I, from very early, and and I still read the Bible on occasion. I'm not anti-Bible, but I I have not read it daily, ritualistically, and that 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 just doesn't work for me. I'm not saying it doesn't work for other right. people, but um, it didn't work for me and really helped me expand into other literature. And back when my eyes were good, I could read all the time. I was reading so many books about leadership, growth, spirituality, recovery, Uh, some of the finest Christian authors from centuries ago to modern day. I mean, I just read so much and, you know, it's really a question of just building a solid foundation. And you develop your own art, really, of mm-hmm. spirituality. Um, yeah, so I know what I was going to say, but that's about it. You know. Yep. And so, you, you lived through all that. We were doing small groups and involved in churches right. and leadership, and
1: well, when we had and it was good. When we had Samantha, is when you took a, you know a few years off to be a stay-at-home dad. The timing mm-hmm. was right. Samantha was colicky baby and we Mm -hmm. weren't sure daycare would even actually take her and um but you got more involved in the church because you had the capacity to go to mom's morning out hang Mm -hmm. out with the pastors get involved you were leading i don't know i feel like you were on like five different committees and i remember you know i went through my season of being super resentful of that because Mm -hmm. i was working all day You still had a need to grow and lead and achieve, but you were doing it on a volunteer basis. So (laughs) those were some challenging times. But one of the things that happened was that you came back from your first experience at a big Christian conference in Boston called Congress Mm -hmm. and had given your life to Christ. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm still sitting over here waiting for God to speak to me, and so... I am more a cultural Christian at that point, that we gather the family, we go to church on Sunday, I put them in their cutest outfits, I look at all the other cute families.
2: A cultural Christian? That's hard. I've I, never heard I'm you afraid. use that before. Oh, That's cool. Really?
1: Yeah. Wow. So I was following the routine. Mm-hmm. I wasn't miserable or unhappy. Mm-hmm. I was keeping an open mind. But what do you mean you gave your life to Christ? Right. You accepted Jesus as your Savior. I didn't get it, but I really believe that my blessing was that.
2: But can, wait, can I say, you know? A lot of times, the Christian way is um, Jesus is described as Lord, Savior, Friend, and King, and I don't know. You know, it's the whole savior thing. If I'm completely honest, I get understand the story. I understand dying on the cross. I understand what that means, opening heaven for all me. So, um, but I really and Lord is God, but I really, I really resonate with Jesus as my king, is because I think every man, every person needs someone to follow, and I can't think of a I. In all my research and all my literature, I have not found a better example to follow. Mm-hmm. So, if I get to choose who my king is, as opposed to like alcohol or drugs or TV or fame or money or me or, or what, right, it's got to be. It's got to be. I can't think of a better one. Yeah. And it. And. And I'm saying everybody has to follow. It's not my goal to convert everybody. For me, when I look to Jesus as my King, I want to do what He
3: says.
2: (laughs) I want to do what He does. Yeah, I can't think of a better person to follow, or a better idol or icon or figure. So
1: sooner or later, I kept my open mind, and I. I want you to
2: tell the Congress story.
1: So we kept going to that conference. Yes. I can't remember if you were there, but I was. Uh, for whatever reason, we weren't in the same last session. But what happened is, throughout this Congress, I was really challenging myself. Like, why aren't you getting it? Like, there's five, four thousand nine hundred ninety nine other people <laughs> here that are all getting it. Why aren't you getting it?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And throughout those four days, it was like I'd always referred to my spirituality or my my recovery. I considered. Mm -hmm. equal terms in my life as puzzle pieces and when I found the piece it locked in I knew that it was truth for me so I just kept exploring things and grabbing these puzzle pieces and it started to form the picture that ultimately became a faith in God Mm
3: -hmm.
1: but this weekend the pieces were like snapping in snapping in snapping in and I found myself standing in a convention hall with, you know, 4,999 other people who, in my mind, already got it. Mm-hmm. And they're singing a praise song called Shout to the Lord. And I got it. Mm-hmm. And I felt it. And I raised my hand and I sang that song out loud as a, as a commitment um, to Jesus. And my life has been changed. And I think... Our marriage, because we believe in the same God, we believe in the playbook for life that is both written and Holy Spirit sends to us.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: That's what I believe. I, I think that that's how you know. We recently celebrated twenty-eight years of marriage, and we've navigated some hard times. And those hard times haven't necessarily been between us or about our marriage, but there's been losses, there's been job situations, there's been, you know, a stage four cancer diagnosis for you that you recovered from, there's been six months of you hiking the Appalachian Trail. Mm -hmm. Kids have had injuries and, you know.
3: Heartbreak. And now
1: we're in a season of life where my parents have passed and, three of my siblings, but your parents are navigating those late-stage life illnesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it is our combined faith that has allowed us to to serve God by being able to serve those people in our life. Um, and there were times when, you know, my ill will towards my parents um, that I could serve, particularly my mom, because my dad passed away when we were still having kids. Particularly for her, I could channel God's love when I couldn't channel my own. Um, And I, you know, one example really stands out. I had just given birth to Mary by cesarean section and, you know, 12 days later we're celebrating Christmas and my mom had Alzheimer's and needed to be taken back. She decided in the middle of dinner that she needed to go back to her assisted living place. And I wasn't supposed to be driving, but I drove her. And as I'm driving, uh, after I dropped her off, I'm sobbing that here's my newborn baby, my beautiful family all around the table and I had to leave it, super selfish but as I'm driving and crying back, like, why, Lord, why, why do I have to do this? Like the, the, the healthy relatives were out of state, why? And the, this is how God talks to me. It's not audible words and it's usually short and sweet, which is how I probably need it. Why not you? Mm -hmm. And that just has me pivoting and counting my blessings. Mm-hmm. That I could have a beautiful family gathered around a table, that I had a vehicle that I could take my mom back to a mm-hmm. a beautiful living situation. Like, there's so many things.
2: That was the same thing I said when um, I received the cancer diagnosis. I didn't yell, "Why me?" Mm-hmm. It was like, "Why not me?" So that I could walk through it and show, whatever the outcome, I yeah. could walk through it as a man of faith, right. So I guess, um, you know, what does what does your spirituality look like today?
1: Oh, well, that's a good question.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, I, there was this song that I bumped into this morning when I was doing nothing, scrolling through videos on my phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not remembering the name of it, but it was uh, Matthew West, who happens to be one of our favorites, singing with, I think her name is Carly Pierce, about how hard it can be to share your truth in the four walls of a church Mm -hmm. and i don't say that for every church Mm -hmm. i'm not trying to stereotype here but one of the things over the last um couple of years that i've i've gotten a taste of now that i'm not working in a corporate environment and always worried about the shell
3: mm-hmm.
1: that i or the the mask that i present to the world that i'm doing well i'm succeeding my family's succeeding nice house nice car nice outfit that's how i always wanted to show up at church and because of the pandemic stopped attending church changed my employment to working in the recovery community and for me The recovery community has been become my congregation because there is truth. Mm -hmm. It is sad often, but it is beautiful Mm -hmm. and it is good. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: And it's hard to accept less than that Mm -hmm. anymore. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: And I think part of that is a privilege of being fifty-six, being in the second or the last third of my life, mm-hmm. that I can be where I want to be.
2: Well, the I, way your family lives, it's probably your last half of life.
1: <laughs> what are you talking about? You
2: can live to like 100 and something. <clears throat> okay.
1: Five out of my six family members are dead, so I'm not sure that's the case. Well, oh,
2: yeah. A few of those grandmas were dying around 100 and all that. Yeah. Um, my spirituality I think is it is it Brad Paisley the country singer what the one that He's one of them. but the one he writes that song uh, me and Jesus have this thing going on yeah and I don't need uh, anyone to tell me what it's all about that's my kind of arrogance now uh, around my faith with with God
3: mm-hmm.
2: is that I am super I don't want to say comfortable super uh, but I'm very confident Because you've seen it unfold how many times where I either have a vision or a notion that just pans out beautifully. So I have tremendous faith in this internal voice. Um, I think my career at CCAR has been, and I think it's God-led in the sense that he'll point out open doors. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people can see the open doors. He also gives me the courage to walk through them. And so um, when you walk through them, you're in a whole different landscape a lot of times, a different world, and amazing things happen. But he's leading the way. Um, I like when Rick talks about, my sponsor Rick talks about finding a moment of awe and wonder every day. So if you're open to that, you can see something amazing. So. You, I was, i um, going to bring the garbage cans in today, and you were in, backing out, and I was about to get in the truck, and I'm taking a picture, because just like 15 feet above me, there's this incredible, beautiful hawk, mm-hmm. just, and he bounces from, I mean, just beautiful. And we have turkeys in the neighborhood, I mean, we just, those are just little things, but you... Even smaller things, you can look at bright green acorns when they've just fallen on the path or and where that can lead you or when we're on the beach and seeing the stones that have been tumbled smooth that are, you know, nice-sized stones, you just go, wow. But, and, if,
1: and isn't that a metaphor for all of us? Like we, oh. we're getting tumbled in the surf, but we're well, being I think I'm getting, made more beautiful.
2: Well, I don't know if I'm yeah, where you are getting tumbled. I'm getting a little more grittier, though, I think, uh uh, like you said I don't I, I'm not as concerned about what people think of me I'm more concerned about staying true to me and when I say true to me, I mean the God inside of me to what my soul is telling me is I have to say true to that um, If I picked up a drink or a drug I'm not saying true to that mm-hmm. because that masks everything that's like pouring... You know, oil into the water of your soul. It's just like dark black ink. So why would I do that? I don't know why I would do that.
1: Well, now I recognize today that the Holy Spirit was talking to me way before I ever Mm -hmm. claimed Jesus personally. Mm -hmm. That all the times I went against what my intuition was telling me that that was Holy Spirit telling me, no, 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 don't go there, girl. You know, and I but I didn't I didn't know to pay attention. And I, I feel like now I've gotten to a place of seeing how God has worked in a situation that I didn't understand. So I see it in the rearview mirror, right? Or they say hindsight's twenty two and like I could see it, but I've had enough of those experiences to now know when I'm in the midst of confusion or why is this happening, what is going on, that that I know and and the churchy phrase is God's working a testimony in mm-hmm. you, right? Which not real comforting in the midst of a trial, but at least now I have the confidence that I will know what God is doing. I just won't know it today. Mm-hmm. And something I had an epiphany this week as I was sharing with some folks, and you know I've mentioned it before that I um, I am applying recovery to my physical well being in what I refer to as a sugar addiction. That's mm-hmm. um what I believe that I have in addition to an uh, addiction to alcohol, And so I've become abstinent from that substance for almost seven months.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And I was sharing this week. I got some great. I was able to go off a of medication. I've restored all my blood work to that of a a normal human being without all the problems in a matter of seven months by removing that substance. Mm -hmm. But what was like blew my mind is we've seen this trend with the Yukon recovery community that I work in over the last few months of a growing population of young people with eating disorders Mm -hmm. who have started coming our way for help and support And we recently interviewed somebody who shared that he's had an eating disorder for over 20 years. Mm -hmm. And I've never referred to what, like in my mind, bulimia, anorexia are eating disorders. And so I've dabbled in bulimia, Mm -hmm. but I never declared myself as that being my, but I have an eating disorder. So there's all types of eating disorders beyond mm-hmm. those two. So there's been this, like, whole pivot. Like, for the first time in my life, I'm using recovery and not a diet or measuring or or uh, exercise. Like, I'm applying recovery principles to something. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, there are more people coming into my life that need support on that particular behavioral addiction.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So... Who else could that be? And I'm not cured. you know I would I, I won't claim that. I am in reprieve from that addiction on a daily basis
2: mm-hmm. but contingent on the maintenance of your spiritual condition. right. So finally, I don't you know you said earlier that we um, about our children, And did we want them to know God? And I don't know that we ever. I did. I know, but (laughs) no, that like sat down and continually talked to them about God Uh, or made them read devotionals or have this set time where you had to do this daily thing. And people do that. That's fine. Um, But I think they saw from our example and our willingness to help people and do things that and explore it for themselves, because I don't know that we could ever make our children believe a certain way. Mm-hmm. I think one of the joys of of the God that I understand is how He, how God reveals um, Himself or herself to to people. You know that um, that. And I think our kids are starting to really understand that and have found their own relationships. One is way more kind of like book-led and words-led and church-led. Routine. And routine and ritual, which is helps structure in his life. One is much more open to the Spirit and where God calls her. And, you know, the two younger ones are still, well, Mary's always been in touch since she was... Tiny, mm-hmm. tiny, tiny. So is Matthew. They're he, figuring he wanted, it out. He wanted, yeah, he wanted to, like, uh, push the boundary a little bit, <laughs> which is fine. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but they're figuring it out. And, you know, that's my only wish for folks is not not, our, the way we did it or, no. or, or what it looks like for us, but the belief in a higher power, the belief that there is someone greater than yourself, even if, I've always said this, even if it's a complete delusion, my life day to day is so much better right. than it was before. Now, I don't think that it is, mm-hmm. but even if it is, I'll, I'll take it every day over my life before having my face.
2: Well, I think my message for people is it's not, it's not that we just shared the way that worked for us. And, you know, I am a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, so, you know, what can I say? I mean, maybe this is a pathway that has worked best for me. Um, um, And it it has worked over 34 years. But the other thing that uh, Rick P., my sponsor, has always talked about is, um, um, there's a word in the 12 steps called The word is sought, S-O-U-G-H-T, sought through prayer and meditation. So what we really want to do is seek. So I encourage everybody to be a seeker. Look for those things, pursue spirituality, pursue what it means to you. And I believe that if you seek, you will find that something will show up that has tremendous heart and meaning for you and maybe that's your spiritual part or your spiritual being. But that's what recovery has been for me, is a, a process of spiritual seeking. And it doesn't end. You know, you don't. It's just always a journey. You're always seeking. You're always looking for more.
3: Amen.
2: All right. Is that what you wanted to talk about?
3: Yeah.
2: Okay.
0: So. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Recovery Matters Podcast. We hope that you have connected in some way with what you've heard. For more information, you can find us on the web at ccar.us. Like and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at ccar, the number four, recovery, and on Instagram at Recovery Matters Podcast. And you can use the hashtag Recovery First to show support for our mission. Have questions, comments, feedback? Email us at podcast at ccar.us. Fire feeds fire. So if yours is burning right now, reach out and share it with someone.